0: Thank <laughs> This morning, we are continuing in our series in the book of James. We've been preaching through this series. You got a couple of items when you walked in. One's a connection card. We'd love for you to fill that out on your, uh, during the time of worship, if you, uh, time of our service. If you are visiting, we'd love to know that you're visiting, and, um, and then we'd like to connect with you. If you have any prayer requests, you can put that on there as well, as well as any questions that may come up. You can uh, put those there as well, and we'd love to be able to answer any questions that you may have. So we started this series um, I'm a, well, about three months ago, uh, we had a two-week interruption during that time, one for our four-year anniversary and one to have a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Paul Heinzman, come and speak. And so we interrupted it for two weeks and kicked back in. So we're in the ninth week of this series. And so James is a challenging book, and today is going to be no different Today is that I'm going to preface James chapter 5 as perhaps one of the most challenging portions of scripture when it comes to the book of James. And so this this is going to be one of those curl up your toes because pastor's going to stomp them hard. And if you curl them up and you have long shoes like me, you may not get them stepped on. But the reality is James is um he is a very, very blunt, but very practical preacher of the gospel. And he is, um, what I, that's what I love about him. He's very straightforward and blunt, but he also brings the practicality of living life. And so today, the series that we've been in is James, God's Design for Faith. Part nine is a blueprint plan to the life God rewards. There is absolutely a life that you can live and that you do live that re- is rewarded by God. And on the flip side, there is a life that you live that will not be rewarded by God. And so today we're going to talk about that life that God rewards. And so in our text of James chapter 5, I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction to it um, so that you have a little bit of context. But in our text, James is again assuming a, a, a role that was very common among the preachers back then is the role of channeling the Old Testament prophet. And that's what James chapter 5 seems like. He's speaking bluntly against the ungodly rich who oppress the poor. All right? The words of this text are actually, they're not an appeal to repentance. Because you won't find an appeal to repentance when James is talking to him. But rather a scorching word of judgment that is coming. And he's talking not just to the, he's talking to, not to the people in the church. As he's talking to the ungodly rich outside of the church. However, within the church that he, he there 's some language that he uses that the church body would understand because the, and know that hey i 'm talking to you too don 't think because so so I will echo the same words don 't think because you attend church on a regular basis that this is not relevant for you it 's absolutely relevant for you because here 's what i 've come to realize, and I have posted this on Facebook and i 've heard other and seen other people post this, so I did not create it. but somebody once said that just you attending church makes you a believer on the same way, the same way that you standing in your garage makes you a Ferrari. Does not work. There are plenty of people attending churches today all across America, as it's become the ritualistic thing to do, that certainly are not living the life that God has called them to live, the one that he rewards. And so today we're going to talk about that. So when we look at James, and you look at chapter 5, it's, it's segmented into what looks to be very, very different, passages of scripture the first six verses look to be this this harsh judgment of the people and then verse seven seems to take a shift but what I've come to realize is these these two work beautifully together and I'm going to show you some of that he takes six verses to denounce those who are outside of the church and what's interesting is he's taking these verses to denounce a group of people who would likely never hear the message anyway and so it 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 made me think of a few things and think of what are the purposes that James has for this message. And so I've come up with two thoughts that I believe are part of the purpose of this message. First, they encourage us to know that God is a faithful God, that he is an enduring God, and knowing that in due time, he does judge the wicked for their lives. You know, oftentimes as believers, we have this this sense of, you know, I'm, I'm living my life of faith, and I'm working out with, I'm working, walking and working out my faith, and and I'm struggling in this area or that area, and then I look over here and see these ungodly people who have everything that I'm missing, and we have a tendency to judge, we have a tendency to covet, we have a tendency to just say this, oh, I want that, or I want that, or 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 what, or feel like entitled even, and so the encouragement is to understand and know that even those that are wicked and are that. Ungodly rich person, or that ungodly person, will also be judged for their lives by God. And then the second, another I, I second warning um, purpose I see in this is that it warns us not to fall into a sinful lifestyle that will then classify us as that rich, ungodly, wicked person. Now you might be sitting here saying, you know, you said the word rich, and I am not. I am far, 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 far from. Rich, But let me just help you out with that context, because in in our United States of America, we've got a whole different version of rich and poor. And so here's the reality. If you have a roof over your head, you are already in the top 5% wealth of the world, just with a roof over your head. If you have a car in your driveway, now you've crept into the top 3% of wealth in this world. Now if, now this is gonna mess you up even more, if you have a bank account that has a penny in it, now you have crept into the top two and a half percent of wealth in this world. So while you look at your present situation and feel like I, I have a whole lot of week at the end of my means, there's a whole lot of week left at the end of my money, there's a whole lot of month left at the end of my money, you are already in the top 2.5% of wealth in this world. So rich has a very different definition when it comes to Scripture and, and what it's referring to. And so I want to class, clarify that for those of you who think, again, well, I'm not rich, so this isn't for me. You are wealthy. I, I would stand before you and tell you that I am a wealthy man. Maybe not by standards in this country, but as standards globally... I am a very wealthy man, just because I can even stand before you and have taken a shower in warm water suggests that I'm wealthy. So let's, let's remember that as, as, as part of context. So let's look at James chapter 5. I'm going to read the first six verses to you. We'll break those down and talk about those a little bit, and then we'll share God's blueprint plan to this life that he rewards. So James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 says, look here, you rich people. There you go. He defines who he's talking to. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away. And your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You've fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You've condemned and killed innocent people who did not. Who do not resist you. Man, that's harsh. That's a harsh image and a harsh picture of what James is talking about. However, as harsh as the image and the picture is, it is resoundingly true for the nation that we live in. Our nation has fattened themselves. Not just wealth, but indulging in everything that comes along. Technology, Money, food, vehicles, houses, everything they could possibly do. And, and these things in and of themselves are not bad things. I'm not speaking against those things. As I stand here preaching from an iPad with an iP- iPhone in my, in my pocket and a roof over my head and two functioning vehicles and the fact that I enjoy clothes and shoes and these are not things that are inherently bad It's what they mean to us as it relates to our relationship with Christ. Because here's the question that I would ask you, and this is rhetorical, so please don't answer it. Is if you were stripped away from all those things, would you serve God still? If you were stripped away from your shoes and your house and your clothes and your technology and your cars, would you still serve God? And not only would you still serve God, would you still walk into the doors of the church declaring that I'm well. That my heart is well, my soul is well, that I am to take some good church language that you may find from place time to time, I am blessed and highly favored. Would you consider yourself blessed and highly favored if you were if all those things were stripped away? That's the difference between who James is talking to and, and what he's saying. And so in the first five verses, six verses, James of James 5, it's littered with warnings. And one of the specific warnings that is littered with is a wealth warning. So here I'm going to share with you some things that you can find through these first six verses that will help you. There are some blanks on your page. There's a bunch of blanks on your page this week. I've given you a whole lot of homework this week. Or classwork, actually. What you do with it at home is your homework. So when I think about this idea of these first six verses, I think about wealth warnings. And the very first one I think about is simply anticipate misery anticipate misery. Verse number one through three, if you are going to be of, come of great wealth and a try to attain wealth, it says, look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags, your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. That is wealth that we place before God and I want to preface that and tell you to be very very careful even with it's 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 more about what the heart does than what the mouth says because here's the reality there was a time in my life when I was venturing out into an unknown business world that I thought, man, this is going to be great. And, and in my heart and in my mind, I would say things and think things and, and believe things such as, well, when I am wealthy, man, I'm going to take care of my pastor. And when I am wealthy, you know, I am going to take care of my church. And when I am wealthy, I'm going to make sure all these missionaries that come through needing income, I'm going to bless them. When I'm wealthy, I, this was my mindset and my thought process. But what had happened during that journey was that that stayed my words but every decision i made was based on gaining wealth and here i was a man of god serving in ministry virtually full time actively seeking out wealth and and that's what would then happen and i and i talk to people all the time and and i i am i have been blessed with an opportunity to be a bivocational pastor and and, and on my job when i speak to people i hear I, excuse me, I hear language like, um, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing good. I said, what are you up to today? You know, I just got to get that money. And I, so God has given me even this small little mission field that I have of young men and women that I get to speak life into. And, and, and when I talk to them, those are some of the things that they say. And, and oftentimes they come back and they talk of their misery. They talk of how they don't have enough money. They talk of all these things. And um, one time I was having a conversation with someone. They said, they talked about, I have a lot of shoes. And, and, and they were like, man, I don't understand how you have so many shoes. I barely can have two or three shoes that, that are even decent enough to wear in public. And I told them, I said, it's not because I'm wealthy. It's because people have given things to me. I, every pair of shoes I own, I may have bought three. And that's, that's, not, that's, that's not, all that is, is just to suggest that if there's something that you desire, or something that you need, God makes a way for those things. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine talking about rocking suits. It's like, man, you got some nice suits, but you don't know the backstory of the man who's blessed the man who's wearing the suit. You know, these are parts of when your heart is connected with God in a proper way, misery will not be your company when it comes to gaining wealth. God is not opposed to rich people. He, uh, he created wealth, and Solomon was perhaps the wealthiest of all people in humanity. He's not opposed to that. He's opposed to where it leads and what happens. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the truth from the true faith, and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You know, people often say, oh, well, the money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. It's the love of it that is the root of all evil. It's greed that becomes the root of all kinds of evil. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and trapped by foolish, harmful desires, plunge them into ruin and destruction. Can I just be honest and say, during that season of my life I mentioned, I came close to the brink of destruction because of where my focus was in that moment. So we have to anticipate misery if we are going to place wealth in this high place. And when I say wealth, keep in mind, I'm not talking about I can drive four cars. Wealth means I'm driving one car. All right? Keep that that context in mind. The second thing you have to understand and, and, and work on if you're going to gain that is simply stop hoarding. Stop hoarding. You know, we see shows that talk about hoarding and there's this big giant thing, like house and room full of garbage that people will just not let go of. Verse three, the second half of verse three, the Bible says, this corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you in the day of of judgment. So here's the question. Everything that you have, do you attain and keep for yourself or are you living life with your hands wide open to suggest what I have isn't mine anyway, so if there's something that you need, here you go. I remember working and serving for a pastor when I just walked in and I was like, man, that is a nice chair. I found that chair in my office two days later because he's, that's the way he lived. He didn't want to hold on to things. He didn't want to hoard things as if they were his own. He wanted to be a blessing to people. You know, the Bible is not anti-saving. It's not anti-investing. Matter of fact, of all the things in Scripture, of all the things we want to stand on and preach on and a soapbox standing on, money is the one thing preached by Jesus more than any other subject that he ever spoke about. More than any other subject spoken by Jesus, the Son of God, was money. Because he knew it was going to be one of the greatest challenges that people would face in life. And he is right. See, but hoarding is different than saving and investing. The word hoarding in this context literally means to store up riches as to not be benevolent with them. I'm going to store up all this stuff and I'm going to hold it to myself and I'm never going to let it loose. I'm never going to bless anyone else. I'm going to keep it for myself. Matter of fact, you found this mentality very alive and well in this nation in the 1920s and 30s during the great depression Come to find out, my grandfather, who lived and was born during that time frame, watched his parents, watched how they lived, and he would then live that way. Upon when he passed away, we found so much stuff that he had that it was like, wow. I've heard stories of people who've passed on of that generation who they found storage units full of junk because they'd never let anything go because they had this... Mentality that they wouldn't be able to survive. That's what hoarding means. The key to, this, to stopping this process is to have a spirit of generosity, meaning characterized as a, a giver. And that's not just money, that's just life. So the third thing that I want to point out in this six, first six verses, James is telling people is don't use people. Verse number four, for listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't use people. You're messing with one of God's sons and daughters when you decide you want to use them. You're messing with them when you decide you want to employ them and then not pay them. Whether that is as a boss in a job, or that is just simply around your house, you want someone to help you out, and then you don't bless them, you don't, that's, you are abusing, and you are messing with one of God's sons and daughters, cheating people out of money, and not paying them enough, let me tell you something, we have come across a world that says, I want everything, and I want it for nothing, I want you to give to me everything that I want, but I don't want to pay anything for it, or I want to pay less than what it costs for it. You know, that's not biblical Christianity. It's kind of like the person who goes out, See, many of you are going to go out to lunch after church because, hey, it's a good church thing to do. We go to church, and then we fill the local restaurants. And as a little side note, you can even understand and know denominations at church by based on the time that they're at the restaurant. If you're rolling out at about 30, 2 o'clock and a bunch of people are coming in, you know, that's the Pentecostal church because they all come into church because they've been in church for four and a half hours. And it isn't a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's what they do. It's what people do. People do different things. So, but the reality is we, most of us will go to lunch after church. A lot of us will. And we'll walk out there after someone has given us service and not bless them with the generosity that God has blessed you with. It's because we're hoarding and we're using people. The fourth one, the last one that is in this first few verses is money will cause a false sense of security. Money will cause a false sense of security. Verses 5 and 6. You've spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You've fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. They've created this sense of security based on what they have. They've been focused on the wrong thing. If you're living for the here and for the now then you're not worried about tomorrow. And that even sounds a little biblical if I'm not mistaken. Where The Bible says not to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow's troubles will be enough just for tomorrow. And so living in the here and now blessing. I mean, when dealing with money, this is with Jesus. Jesus was extreme. See, there's this segue now into verse number seven. It almost seems, if you read it, Verses, verse 6 and then read 7 through 11. You almost think there's got to be some bipolar tendencies in James. Because this sounds crazy that he makes such a quick turn. But the reality is they, they connect very well. And, and, and Jesus, when he coming to dealing with money, he was extreme. He would have a meal and he would invite the poor. He would see someone struggling and he would then give to them. Or he would instruct that they be given to. Only one saying and I said it now, don't worry about now. Don't worry about the wealth and the riches now. Because for what you do for the kingdom of God, you will be given more wealth than you can imagine when he returns. But we have this mentality says, I got to have it here and I got to have it on earth. And I got to have it now or else I'm not going to survive. And then we could very well find ourselves in that Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 passage of Christianity that suggests that he never knew us because we were so connected to what we had Luke 14 actually says it like this Then he turned to his host when you put on a luncheon This is Jesus the words of Jesus when you put on a luncheon or a banquet He said don't invite your friends brothers relatives and rich neighbors. Ha huh. ha That's what we do, right? We put on a luncheon We invite our friends our brothers our relatives and our rich neighbors Because we want something from them. Let's just be real He says, for they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. So I'm invited to a party. I invite all these cool people because I want my party to be cool. When they invite you to their party, that's done. It's squared up. That's the end of your reward. That's all you get. But Jesus said that instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So here's the question I have for you today. When it comes to what you have are you giving it to people who eventually can do something for you? Or are you giving it with the expectation of receiving nothing in return and being happy with it? That's the question. People have asked. One of the ministries that we have here is the laundromat ministry where we go into the community and we do laundry for people. like Meaning we supply everything that you need to do it plus pay for it. And we do that in our community. And I have had other pastors who've come to me and said, how do you do this? And what do you do? I want to know, blah, blah, blah. Because in their mind, and they've said this, this is going to be a good option to help me grow the church. And so I would tell them, this is everything that we do. And then they would come back six months later. This is a legit story. This, they would come back six months later and suggest, well, we just, all we did was just spend 1200 bucks. No one's come to church. We've only been able to pray for a handful of people in the laundry. Where's the fruit? I was like, what what, what kind of fruit are you looking for? And that's when they said, well, we were hoping that this would help to grow our church. I said, well, that's the problem. He's like, well, why do you do it? I said, just because. Because if there, there are people in our city that... Make a decision between paying to do laundry and paying the light bill that month. We don't, con- con- we don't have that concept because we're fattened on what we have. But there are people just in our own city who make that decision on a weekly and even daily basis. And my, our thought is simply if we, can, if we can bless somebody one time and help make that decision easy for them by paying for their laundry, then so be it. I can count. We've been doing this since before we were a church. We were doing the laundromat before we ever even gathered as a corporate body of Christ. We were doing it in our community. And I can tell you in the years, the four plus, almost five years that we've been doing it, there have been about three families that have come to church here. Three. Now, most people would be like, well, we got to cut that out because that's not bearing fruit. No, that is what the scripture is saying. We expect nothing. I told him, I said, you have expectations. We have zero. Our expectations is that the people in our church show up and love the community. That's my expectation. I have zero expectations of anyone that we're showing up to love, just to love them. So what, that's, that's, the, that's the message of Jesus in, in Luke 14. Luke 14. He said, instead, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. What do you do for someone who cannot repay you? So let me move on to this life that God rewards because I am running out of time. There is a blueprint plan, and that's what we've been doing every single week is developing, preaching that gospel as to what is actually said, and then revealing this plan, this practical plan to attain what we're talking about. And so in this place is to attain the life that God rewards. Read with me in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. The Bible says, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in, in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage and for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other. Woo! Mm. I could preach that right there. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. For you will be Judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and Mercy. Man, what a shift in atmosphere from James, from the, con, from the judgment to this encouragement of patience and endurance. And, and I don't know about you, but I don't like reading passages of scripture to talk about having patience. Because I'm just being real. I'm a very impatient person. But there is a life that God rewards that James maps out. The first thing I want to give you in your blanks is god will reward you for seeking him in prayer God will reward you for seeking him in prayer. And if I had more time to break this down, I'd even use the rest of James, because I don't, but I don't want to take away from what God's going to be speaking next week. But the rest of James, because the very next portion of scripture is all talking about the power of prayer. But so, so to, to make that point, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 6, the Bible says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father will see everything, who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, he rewards. Hebrews 11:6 says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You want to be rewarded by God? You seek God. Number 2, God will reward you for denying yourself. God will reward you for denying yourself. Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Let me say that again because some of y'all missed an opportunity to say the the word amen. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And, what, and, and what, you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. What you do matters. It's not just what you believe. It's what you do with what you believe. God will reward you for denying yourself. That's why part of the prayer that I pray every single week, week in and week out, is like when I say when I reference John the Baptist that I decrease so that you increase. It's that, my heart's desire. It wasn't always, but because I pray that, it became that. And so my heart's desire is that my way, my will, my desire, my thought process, my preference is sacrificed at the cross. Number three, God will reward you. For meeting the needs of others. We just talked about that. God will reward you for meeting the needs of others. Luke chapter 6 verses 21 through 23. What blessings await you when people hate you. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the son of man. Let me me just back up because I just jumped ahead to number four. I'm gonna preach number four real quick since a minute. God will reward you for suffering for his name. Lost track of myself. What blessings await you when people hate you, exclude you, mock you, and curse you as, you eat as evil because you follow the Son of Man? What, when that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. God will reward you for suffering. For his name. You know, my pastor, my mentor told me, and I've shared this before, and you've heard it before, and you'll hear it again, I promise. He says, the measure in which, see, we're talking about living a life that God rewards, and there's a growth into that life. And let me tell you something very quickly, that in that process of growth, you will suffer. And the measure in which you're willing to suffer is directly connected to the measure in which you will grow. There is no growth without suffering. None. When life is good and things are going well, let me tell you something. The last thing I'm doing is growing. I grow when life sucks. Yes, you can. I said that in church. I grow when life sucks. When things are difficult, when I'm oppressed from all ends and, and, and the enemy is trying to steal and kill and destroy me. That's when I'm growing the most. I've not grown because things have been well. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that I've regressed when things have gone well. Because I've gotten comfortable. And when I'm getting comfortable, it's like, ah, this is easy. So my prayer time with God is spent on Facebook rather than with my face in the book. Because I've grown comfortable with God. Things are going very well. And so I'm going to take my 20 minutes of prayer and I'm going to get about seven minutes in and then see like, Look at all these notifications. I don't like notifications, so let's get rid of these things real quick, and then I'll get back to my prayer. Oh, then I start a conversation. See, this dude texts me while I'm in church. He's not even in church, but he's from church. I'm like, well, I should just text him back. Hold on. That's what we do with God. Imagine I did that to you while we were preaching. I'm like, oh, you know, hold on a minute. I got a notification here. Let me, let me, let me, let me check this out. Oh, man, I got to fix my fantasy football. That's what we do with God. We get distracted by everything around us. That's what happens when we're comfortable. That's why when he, says, when, he, when, 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 when he says to be happy, leap for joy when you suffer. Why? Because a great reward of growth awaits you. Now let me get back to the other one so I don't lose my track again. Number three was God will reward you for meeting the needs of others. Mark chapter 9, verse 41 says, If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will be surely rewarded. That's why we do things like the laundromat, to meet the needs of other people. That's what happened in the, in the first church in the book of Acts. You know, before we were talking about money and people get so tight and stingy with money and they don't want to give, and then you have the, the, all the apostles say, You know what? Just give everything you own. Lay it at the feet of the apostles. Why? So that no one is ever in need. See, don't nobody want to do that. Nobody wants to come and lay everything they own at the altar so that everyone has need. Who has need is without needing. That's that's not what we want to do. We want to hoard it for ourselves. But when we meet the needs of other people, we are rewarded. Number five. Got two more left, and I think my time is all right. Yep. Number five, God will reward you for sacrifices you make for him. Luke 6.35 says, love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Whoa, wait a minute. I'm supposed to lend to my enemy? Nah, I don't even want to lend to my mama. But I'm going to lend to my enemy? Y'all Crazy, you got this gospel into a crazy. I can't even. Then he says, and your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the most high. So wait a minute. If I'm not lending to my enemy, then I'm not acting as a child of God. I think I think that's part of the problem when it comes. First thing is this is not what's preached in the pulpit in America and a lot of churches. And then when it is, they run to find a pulpit that it's not. Because nobody want to give anything to anybody, especially to their enemy. But that's a reward. Matthew 19, 29 says, And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Wow, we're talking now. It's getting, it's getting heavy now. It's getting weighty. You now people say, oh, the gift of God and the gift of grace is free. No, that's such a lie. Run away from that preaching because it's not true because it will cost you everything. But what you receive as a reward both here and in heaven far outweighs anything that you could ever sacrifice. Just got to trust and believe it to be true. Number six, the last one I'm going to share with you. And you might be able to figure out where we're going based on one through five. But God will reward you for sharing your time, your talent, and your treasure to further the kingdom. God will reward you for sharing your time, your talent, and your treasure to further his kingdom. Matthew chapter 6. And this is all gospel. Most of it Jesus' words himself. Matthew 6, 3 and 4, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. See, when we actually are finally drawn to this place where we're willing to give, now we want everybody to know we finally have gotten there. And now we he, he look at me as I give. Matter of fact, anybody ever been in a part of a church where the man, has, the man of God has stood up here and has said, all right, if you got a $10 gift to give God, then come on up here. If you got a $20, if you got a $50, you, anybody ever been a part of that church, seen that? I've seen that. Let me tell you something that completely and totally and 100% contradicts Scripture. They are actually saying, I am Jesus and I want to see what you give because in all of Scripture, the only one who's ever watched anybody give anything was Jesus. Just saying, read the word, study to show yourself approved. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, that was Matthew 6, 1 Timothy 6 through 8, 18 through 19, talking now about leadership. In the body, because Timothy and Titus is all about leadership in the body. So if you lead anyone in any capacity, listen up, whether it's in the church or at work. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. What is this good found? This good foundation of the future is not your future here but your future there. That's what you're trying to lay you're laying a foundation for your future with God. 2 Corinthians 9:11 says, "Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous." And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. God's whole plan for humanity is that you are wealthy because then he knows if I can get it to you, and then give it, get it through you, that he's going to always funnel it to you. And just the residual of what's left over from what God funnels to you will be more than enough to bless you in your family and your life. More than enough. I can't even, I, I mean, I, I wish, I so, I so desperately, Nate, want to boast about some of the things that God has done in my life. But unfortunately, if I do, it's going to be read as me boasting And so I can't do that to the level that I want to do that. But let me just tell you, there has been so much that has been gotten to me because he's gotten it through me. And anything that's been left over, just the residual, the crumbs of what's left over, has been more than enough to take care of my family. Since the day I served God, since the day this principle of giving has entered into my heart, into my life, I have never one time gone without anything in my life. Not once, not once. Now, has there been tight times and tight moments that cause a little stress in the home? Oh, yeah. But stress meant and for that moment, I worried about what God has already done. Man, that's just foolishness. Yes, it is. Dude, sometimes you may have to live on spaghetti and ramen noodles. Come on now. Count yourself blessed that you have that because there's a whole world of people desperate for a handful of beans and rice. And we're worried about all I have is ramen. Dude, let me tell you what I can do with a pack of ramen. You get creative after a little while. I become a ramen chef. Ask my kids. They've seen it because I still to this day will eat it. But here's the reality. There is a life that God desires to reward you for living. There is a life. And let me tell you, whatever, I say this from week to week. You can get a lot out of scripture for what it says, absolutely, and study. But you can get something for what it does not say. And so when I look at all these rewards and all this scripture and all this gospel that I shared, I can come to the conclusion that if you are not walking this life, it will not be rewarded. Not only not here, but not there. Not only not here, but not there. God's desire is to reward his children. And that's echoed if you have children in here, that's you, you know this feeling on a small level. Your desire is to reward your children. Sometimes my desire to reward my children outweighs my need to discipline my children. Sometimes, sometimes I give them things they do not deserve, sometimes. But I feel like all I'm doing is modeling my father because he gives me a lot of things that I don't deserve. Matter of fact, let's just say my life. He has given me life, I don't deserve it. But what you do with your life matters in the grand scheme of eternity and time on this earth.